Lauren uh, Green. I'll be reading the Old Testament Bible verse for today from Psalm 110. So if anybody wants to follow along, that is Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. I will be reading the New Testament scripture um, from Mark 12, starting in verse 35 and then into chapter 13, verse 13. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty but put in everything, all she had to live on. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. 
Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the, the beginning. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Dear Lord, as we continue um, in our service today and as we let these scriptures just flow over our hearts, Lord God, and our minds, I pray, Lord God, that we truly understand what you are speaking to us about, Lord God. I pray that you will give us wisdom, Lord God, to um, to interpret the meaning of the words and the meaning that you put in everything that you said. I pray, Lord God, that as we look at these scriptures, um, point to our hearts, Lord God. Show us what is wrong in us, Lord God. Convict us, Lord. And may we grow here together, Lord God, through um, just learning more about you and who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lana. Now, obviously, there was a lot of scriptures that were read, and I know that it was very easy to, um, I would say, just zone out and not hear them all. But I want to do uh, a thorough job of uh, putting all of that together from Psalms 110 in, in other scriptures, like Psalms chapter two, that we didn't have time to read, some passages out of Romans. Like there is so much happening here in this passage of scripture that Lana just read to us. So let me tell you where we've been. Let me tell you where we're going so that you understand why we're doing this Sunday the way that we're doing it. We're in a series called Devoted. Uh, this is the 11th week. It doesn't feel that long for those of you who have been around that. Does it feel like we've had 11 teachings in Devoted? Some of you might be like, yes. But we've been walking through this idea of what hinders our devotion to God, which we went back and we looked at Jesus calling the enemy the father of lies and how lies get into our head and then changes our behavior that then puts us into a world that is just in conflict. And, and how, do we, how do we guard against believing lies? So we started out on that foundation. And now we've been moving into this last week of Jesus and kind of flipping the word devoted on what was Jesus devoted to getting across in his teachings to his followers before the Last Supper, before the crucifixion, before the ascension, before the Holy Spirit came. Like, why was why were these teachings like the verses we just read um, so important for Jesus to get across? Um, And then. After like this Thursday, Monday, Thursday, this is kind of a little advertisement. We're going to be in this room at 630 and we're going to take the Lord's table together over an elongated period of time where I'm going to share some of the meals in Mark's gospel and compare them to the Lord's table that we then take. And then Good Friday will be in here at, at 730 for a Good Friday gathering. Um, then we're going to have a silent Saturday where we individually just wait in our longing for Jesus to come. 
And then Easter Sunday morning, we're going to have a sunrise gathering where we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive and that new life is available to us. And then Easter service. As you can tell, we have seats available, so there's plenty of room for you to invite your friends and family to come and be a part of that at 1030. But then after Easter, we are then going to be looking at how the early church was devoted to everything that Jesus just taught. So when we look at the scriptures, everything that we're looking at Jesus's teachings now, we're going to then look at how Paul and the early church leaders took all these lessons and began to make them the foundational teachings for the early church. And then we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday together, June 5th, with several other churches in the city that are going to come together here in our courtyard for an outdoor gathering. We're looking forward to that. So that's where we're going. Is that exciting? Those of you that are here with me and those of you watching online. And Josie, thank you for the text. Um, so I know he's watching from Pennsylvania this morning because I got a text from him. So thank you so much. So here's, here, here's where we are today. We are in, a, in what is a riddle of, of words that Jesus has spoken. It's not just clear. Like, I want you to understand, this would have come out like, what is Jesus meaning by this? The people in the audience weren't sitting back like, wow, this is an excellent teaching. They were having to figure it out along the way. Now, they have an advantage over us. What advantage would that have been? That advantage was that they were Jewish. And so they knew the Psalms. They knew the Old Testament scriptures by heart that Jesus is alluding to, much like the Psalms 110 um, verse that he just pulls one verse out of that chapter, and then they would have known the entire context of everything Lauren read to us. So we have a disadvantage. We're not used to that. We're also not used to this teaching style, this writing style. So Jesus is teaching in riddles, and Mark is writing it all down with a specific teacher's handwriting. Some of your teachers teach different ways, don't they? Mark is a unique gospel. He tells stories to emphasize stories. And that's why we didn't end at the end of Mark 12. We let it carry over into Mark 13 because everything Mark is doing here was to get across one point, And he's using all of these things that Jesus was teaching to continue to get that point across to the people that were reading his letter when he wrote it to the early church. And I think he gets to the heart of what Jesus was really trying to share. And so up to this point, when I say this point, I'm not talking present day me with you, but in this point where Jesus is now talking in the temple, it has been a full week. We're now getting ready to go into the Thursday of the week. And Jesus has been in the temple all week long. And the crowds have loved him. And the religious leaders are over in the corners, sometimes the Pharisees and the Herodians, sometimes the Sadducees by themselves. These different denominations of religious leaders were talking to each other, trying to trip Jesus up so that they could either make the crowd turn on him or make the Romans that were watching everything come and get Jesus as a way of saying he is he is speaking against Rome, so he deserves execution. So in the shadows of everything happening in this text is a movement to figure out some way to get rid of Jesus, but the whole time the crowd is loving Jesus. They've, they've gotten over everything that he's done, whether turning over the tables or... Um, you know, interacting with the religious leaders in a public way. And we find this incredible relationship forming between Jesus and the people in the temple, which was a huge crowd, by the way. The temple complex 
like I mentioned the first week we talked about this, would have been the size of Camden Yards and M&T Bank and all of the parking lots combined. So we're not talking like 1840s plaza. We're talking massive place where hundreds of thousands of people could have gathered if they needed to. And so the question has been, and the question is continuing through this text, who exactly will be the Messiah? Like who, who will the Messiah be when the Messiah does show up? And so like last week, when we were talking about the, the Sadducees having a bad theology, they were misinformed. They didn't think that there was going to be an afterlife. And so Jesus was correcting their theology and, and, and correcting the crowd on what to believe about what is to come. Here, they, they have a, a, a misunderstanding about who the Messiah was going to be. So Jesus is wanting to address that. But what has been happening all week has been Jesus saying to them in many different ways, whether it was the story about John the Baptist, the story about the parable and the tenant farmers, the question about the tribute to Caesar, all of this was to answer the question that the religious leaders asked Jesus, which was, who do you think you are? Who do you, like they're saying, like, who do you think he was? Like, this is, this is them saying to Jesus, We're hearing you condemn the temple. We're hearing you with authority speak against the corruption that you're seeing. Who do you think you are? And so Jesus is continuing to prove that he is the true king. So Jesus seems in this riddle to be challenging the assumption that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And I've heard pastors talk about that. And I I want to just say because we have to do so much background work to understand the Jewish context, and we have to understand what Mark is doing here, you cannot use this passage to say that Jesus wasn't from the line of David. Matthew goes through great lengths to prove the lineage of Jesus to the Jewish culture. And you begin to find that Paul wrote the church in Rome in chapter 1 that Jesus was from the line of David. Matthew 1, 17, Luke 2, 27 and 32. They're all passages that speak highly of the fact that Jesus was from the line of David. But they had a wrong thinking. They were thinking that, that the Messiah was solely going to be a son of David. And that is so low on the power pole, so to speak. That would have meant that David would have had more authority than his son or grandson or great-grandson or great-great-grandson. And so they had this understanding that there was just going to be a mighty Messiah that was going to come out of this line of David. And Jesus is like, no, it's bigger than that. In your Psalms, in one that David most likely wrote, is actually proof that David even knew that somebody was going to have authority over him. And that's why Jesus uses the phrase, my, um, my Lord, this passage that David's Lord was bigger than David's son. The, the context of Psalms chapter 110. And so who could this be? Who really could be the Messiah? And Jesus is standing there saying, it's me. And the early church really began to figure out a way of talking about it. Because up until then, they had no framework of understanding that God was going to be the Messiah and a son of David. And they were trying to figure out how do we talk about God in the flesh and David 
lineage and make sense of it. So they came up with a phrase called the son of God. So that was a phrase that helped them begin to shape their, their, their thoughts. And, and this is who Jesus is. But yet when you look at Psalms 110, and this is something that is, is, is going to end up putting Jesus on the cross because of the religious leaders. Because by quoting that David's son would be David's Lord in tying him to Psalms 110, the other thing that's powerfully communicated in Psalms 110 is that Jesus was going to be the priest over Israel forever. So this son that's going to be the Lord is actually also going to be the one high priest that's over not just Israel, but all of the world. And so I just want you to know that the religious leaders that have been in the shadows the whole time, they know Psalms 110 and they're hearing Jesus say, not only am I declaring myself to be the king and not only do I have the right for authority, I also am the high priest. That makes me a priest king and I'm also God. And I'm here to tell you that this is all going away. This is what's happening in this text. So you're like, oh, that's what I was having a hard time focusing on when it was just being read out loud to me. Because Jesus is claiming authority over the temple. So what a contrast. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. When David's Lord became David's son, he did not use this as a means for gaining popularity or wealth. He gave up his life. This is something that the early church was reflecting back on when they began to see how this particular day's teaching was impacting them. And the people who were listening to Jesus were having a hard time. It was happening in riddles. It was coming so fast. And this is why the teaching about David's Lord is paired with the widow that gave two pennies. That's then paired for the, the prophetic word about the destruction and what the early believers were going to go through. All of this was now being shown in this widow that was now being contrasted to the wealth of the people that were giving publicly. Because this is the Holy Week. This was a Holy Week for Israel. It's a Holy Week for us. And people were coming to give offerings. And many people were coming to give offerings, were giving big offerings out of their wealth. And then Jesus finds some widow that could have just been disguised as somebody, as a woman just dropping some coins in, like our boxes by the door. When people go, we don't know how much they're giving. We don't know what the intent of their gift is. But Jesus calls this woman out as an example of saying she's not only dropping in two coins, she's dropping in everything she has. And why would he tell this story in light of the Messiah, the Messiah redefined by Jesus, correcting bad thinking, talking about the Messiah coming as David's Lord, and then sharing a story about a widow giving her two mites. And this is what I really believe it is. He is saying to them that her sacrifice, though small, is total. Her sacrifice, no matter how small it might be and how little it could be even in our currency today, was total. And he's now, Mark, taking Jesus's words and retelling them in a way that is saying that is now in comparison to the example the Messiah sets. It's not just randomly changing subject matter. The Messiah is defined by totally giving themselves away. 
And so Israel's God has given himself totally, given all that he had and was for their liberation. This is what Jesus is saying here in the temple. So all of these themes about the total picture of Jesus Christ, truly coming as king, truly coming as Lord, truly coming as priest, as a complete package of God, the Israel's God being present with them to liberate them, deliver them, is now going to roll over into the passage we had read to us in Mark chapter 13. And the best place for us to get that interpretation of that passage is to go to verse 8 right away where it talks about the beginning of birth pains. Now, I was present for the birth of both of my kids. That is my extent of understanding birth pains. I am not going to speak to anything more than what I have just witnessed. And I just know that my son coming out at nine pounds-ish was significantly different than my daughter coming out at six pounds, 10 ounces, which her birthday is today. Right, And so I'm talking about birth pains on my daughter's 23rd birthday when I know that she's not watching in New York City today with her friends. So I can talk about her knowing that she may not ever see this particular teaching. But happy birthday, Lauren, just in case I'm surprised. All right. So birth pains were a common analogy to Jews. So I want you to hear this. Jesus is brilliant. He was an excellent teacher. He wasn't just randomly speaking analogies that maybe we could make something out of today. They had a language throughout all of the Old Testament of what birth pains were like. They used it in their daily walk because in their culture, it was impossible to avoid birth. The way they lived, it was something that they all witnessed. They all experienced. Everybody was in on it. The good ones and the ones that were difficult. It was communal. They understood it. So why not take something that they understood so clearly and use it as a life lesson for what they're going through? And so they had this idea of painting a picture about the age to come. So that's their language of talking about life after life after death. Like that was their way of thinking about the future to a Jew is called the age to come. And so what we find here is that when they talked about the age to come, they knew it was a time when justice and mercy would be present. They knew it was a time when peace and truth would be lasting and flourishing and would never end. And they talked about it after birth pains. So there was this process of that being birthed into the world. And that's all throughout several Old Testament passages. And so what we're finding in Mark, Jesus is devoted to communicating to his followers and the religious leaders that there was a birth pain process about to start that was going to bring justice and mercy, that was going to bring the the liberation that they needed, but they weren't expecting it to come in the way that it was coming. So this particular chapter, I just need to correct something right out of the chute. This is not about end times. Some of you are like, oh, it isn't. I might be the first time I'm talking to you about this. The object of all of the descriptions in Mark chapter 13 is the temple itself. You can't go back and grammatically break it down and put some subject matter that's not present in here because everything about it is modifying the fact that the temple's days were numbered. 
And so the religious leaders, the disciples, the, the followers of Jesus that were listening were getting a very present tense language about the temple itself. And so Herod's temple was known as the most beautiful thing that anybody could ever walk up to. That's why they hear Jesus's disciples are hearing Jesus talk about its destruction. And the disciples wanted to know when's it going to happen because this place is beautiful. And it wasn't even finished construction, and they were just overwhelmed with the architecture of it all. And so what we find here is that their curiosity, the fate of the temple, is then turned in Mark chapter 13, not just to who have fate of the temple, but a fate of the followers that were listening to Jesus. And so there's a description about what they're going to go through. It's not just a description of the destruction of the temple, but there's this also this thing that they were going to face as followers of his. And when you start to look at the wording, some of it sounds really scary about the types of persecution they're going to face, the things that he's going to go through. He's telling them, you're going to witness my death and then you're going to begin to experience that same type of beatings and floggings and you're going to experience the persecution because of your association with me. Now, can you maybe get a little bit more sensitive when the night Jesus was arrested and the trial that the disciples all fled? Can we be sensitive to them? They weren't just weak people. They weren't awful disciples. They knew the reality of the pain they were going to face. How many of us would have hung out and waited? They, they, they were putting all of this together about the fact that this birth pains was coming and the ache and the, the newness of what God was wanting to do. It was all coming. And so one of the arts that Jesus's followers must learn after his departure is patience. This is what Jesus is saying to them in this crazy text of Mark chapter 13. You need to be ready is what he's saying. You're going to have to be patient in suffering. Can I just tell you this? When I really started thinking about that this week, I just started crying at my desk. Some of you follow me on social media. I kind of made a little post about it. Um, Because in reality, if we're really following Jesus, there are going to be days where it's going to be a patient endurance. Because if we're not experiencing anything, we might not be following Jesus. Because he said, if you follow me and you get identified with me, you're probably going to experience some of these things. And so what were they going to face? Before the destruction of the temple that happened around the year 70 AD, they were going to experience false teachers. They were going to experience frightening rumors, rumors of war, rumors of power, all these rumors that were mentioned here. They were also going to be experiencing these natural disasters, earthquakes, all this stuff. So they're going to be hearing about it and experiencing it and feeling all of this. And he's saying to them, it will tempt you to panic. It's going to tempt you to panic. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know what was coming so that they could be patiently and endure through all of it because he wanted to establish his church so that you and I could be here today and find encouragement and strength and power because his church endured. That's what Mark 13 is about. Mark 13 is a picture of what Jesus' followers listening to, his, in, to him in the temple was, was experiencing. Okay, if we should do follow you as our king, we do follow you as our Lord. We do make you our new high priest where we don't have to come to this temple anymore. Jesus is going to say, if you accept all of that, let me tell you what your life is going to be like. That does not sound like a prosperity gospel. 
I recently watched the documentary of Hillsong on Discovery Plus. I don't know if I'm going to encourage it or discourage it, but I cried through most of it and was angry a lot. Because when you look at the hundreds of millions of dollars and you look at the scandal that came behind, Jesus didn't die to establish an environment where nobody trusts the church. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus died so that people could patiently endure the hardships of this world so that he looks beautiful. He looks like the liberator. He looks like the savior, not us, but him. And so, so much of that is happening here. They will live at a place, and I put this on a screen for you, where the purposes of God and the pain of the world cross paths with each other. That's what Mark 13 is about. And so about 20 years ago, um, I was a little bit more adventurous than I am today. And I, I was a youth pastor, which that means is I, I was like this, but just to teenagers. And I took about 30 or 40 of them whitewater rafting on the New River in West Virginia. Have any of you done whitewater rafting on the New River in West Virginia? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you, um, I encourage it and discourage it at the same time. But here's the thing. I want, I want to try to make all of Mark 13 and all of Mark 12 come together for us because we decided not to just rent rafts and try to do it on our own. We hired guides because I cared about bringing back all the students to their parents. Like that is not good for my job security would be to leave somebody behind. And so we went and we got guides. And this actual rapid that you see in the picture is called the double Z on the New River Gorge. And so it is only considered a class three rapid. And some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, it goes from a five down. A five means um, sign a waiver. You might not come back. One means it's like just a lazy river that you float through. A three is like right in the middle. But during certain rainy seasons, it could become a four. And when we were with our students at this particular time, um, it was closer to a four than it was a three. And so the guides were talking to us ahead of time. Let me tell you what to expect. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you get into the boat. We're going to practice. You're going to have to paddle backwards sometimes. You're going to have to paddle forward sometimes. And sometimes the right side's going to have to paddle backwards. And the left side is going to have to paddle forward. And he's telling us the scenarios. And he's like, but you got to hear it in my voice. Because if I'm saying something, you guys all have to pull together at the same time. So the guide's telling us what to do. And then he says the magic words. If you find yourself out, out of the boat. I'm like, wait a minute. We're, we might get out of the boat. And he's like, yes, we might get out of the boat. And he's like, so if you find yourself out of the boat, let me tell you what to expect. If you find yourself out of the boat and you're under the boat, he's like, pick a direction and stick with it. He's like, don't go a little ways and stop and go the other way and stop. He's like, just pick a direction and stick with it. You might pick the wrong direction, but eventually you'll be out from underneath the boat. And then he went on to say, and if you fall in a certain place, you might get stuck up against a rock. I'm like, stuck up against a rock. And they're like, yes, the pressure of the water against the rock will, uh, will force you, whether forwards or backwards, but just be patient and hold your breath because eventually the water will peel you off the rock or push you under the rock and just pray that it doesn't push you under the rock because you most likely won't fit. And I'm like, okay, do I really want to take 40 students and adults on this river? And he's continuing to give us all these instructions. So we get everybody in the boat. All the students wanted to be together. So all the students are in boats in front of us. 
And all the adults are in the last boat because we want to watch them die, right? (laughs) And so they had given us, we get in the water, we're practicing all the things, and they make it fun because somebody could stand on the front of the raft, and then they would all spin the raft and see how many revolutions the person could last before they fell out. And so we're doing all of this in very calm water. But then was now the serious time. It's time to go. And so we have now gone, and now we're coming up on double Z. We've had some success, but you could hear the rapids. And so I'm in the adult boat. And remember, the instruction was you have to listen to your guide and be ready to respond immediately. But because all the adults were concerned about the students in the front, our guide is yelling instructions at our boat, but we're watching the boats in front of us go through these rapids, and we're not listening to our guide. So our boat gets out of position. And you see that big rock that looks like a ramp? Our boat went up that and dumped me out. And I was pinned against that rock. I was under the water for easily 30 to 45 seconds, just like this. I could see the top of the water. I was looking up. I was literally pinned like this. And I literally had time to say to myself, oh, wow, I'm going to drown. But then I remembered to remain calm hold my breath, and guess what? The water peeled me off and didn't push me under. I was like, yes, praise the Lord. But then guess where I got shot out underneath a raft? So I'm thinking I'm getting ready to get air, and then I find myself looking at the bottom of a raft. So I'm fully pressed with the water against the raft, and I'm like, oh, pick a direction. And I followed the instructions, and eventually I came up for air. And I was under the water long enough for people to say, where's Ellis? That's how long I was under the water, okay? But I say all of this because that's the intersection of the kingdom of God and the world right now. It is tumultuous. There's things that the kingdom is flowing and and wanting to break in, but there's objects that don't want to adjust and move, and the waters that we're in are turmoil. Like, it's, it's hard, and it's things that could literally claim our life especially in places right now in the Middle East and the the eastern parts of Europe, parts of Africa, where people are fleeing as refugees because of their faith. So let me just tell you, there are Christians and other non-Christian people around the world right now that are literally losing their life because the intersection of the kingdom and the world are at war. And it's tumultuous. But we've been given instructions on how to live in tumultuous waters. And that's what this Holy Week is all about. Jesus is saying to his followers, let me tell you when the double Z is coming. But let me tell you how to survive if you find yourself tossed out of the boat. Let me tell you how to look for each other, care for each other, love for each other. And let me tell you that even though things seem crazy, I am still Messiah. And let me redefine Messiah for you. This Messiah is king. This Messiah is Lord. This Messiah is priest over all of it. And so you don't have to go to different people. There's one person that you need to come to. And that one person is me. And let me tell you what I've done. I've liberated you from sin and death. So everything getting ready for next Sunday at Easter is for us to be able to look back over what Jesus taught See how Jesus lived, see how Jesus died, see how Jesus rose, and see how he claimed his kingdom so that you and I can live in it at the intersection of this world and the kingdom 
under his instructions to know how to survive because he's coming back. And nothing can take Christ from us. Nothing is going to be able to overpower him, even though the world feels like it's in constant turmoil. But we've been given a rescue strategy and a rescue plan. And so, as I close, Jesus told us that we would need patience to hold on and that he was going to see things through. So Jesus is trustworthy. So he told us we're going to have to be patient. And he told us he was going to see us through. But he didn't say he was going to dam up the river and make it an easy ride. Now, mind you, can I just be honest? I wish that that was what happened. Because it really speaks to my heart where many times in my faith, I'd rather be lazy and not have to do anything. I'd like for it just to be done for me. But that's really more about me. But there's things that I must do. I've got to listen to his voice. I've got to know when to paddle forward, know when to paddle backwards. I've got to know when to, to respond. I've got to know when to coast. Like, there's so many things that Jesus wants to do for us. And there's so much that we can trust him with. And so I hope that this week that you can set aside a little bit more time to remember what you've been taught about Jesus. Look through the final story of the life of Jesus on earth before the ascension and look at the ways in which he displayed his love. Like the widow with the mites, Jesus was all in. He gave everything and that's what he wants us to do. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the ways in which you love us, the ways in which you've shown your power. And Lord, I pray right now that we would be encouraged by the example of Jesus Christ that we would be encouraged by the teachings of Jesus Christ, that we'd be encouraged by the spirit that, the, that Jesus left for us. And Lord, even though we come up on moments in our life where it's like double Z rapid moments, Father, I pray that we would keep our ears tuned to your voice and we remember what you've taught us so that we can respond the way that you'd want us to respond and that we would not just survive, but we could survive through it and thrive through it for your will and your way to be done. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Because some of you on the way in probably grabbed the Lord's table elements, but some of you did not. And if you want to participate in the Lord's table with us, Brent, would you mind grabbing a basket and hitting up this side of the room? Alana, would you mind grabbing the basket and hitting up this side of the room if people didn't um, find one? But while we're waiting for those elements to be passed... Uh, let me just open it up. Were there any questions that I could respond to regarding our teaching today? Sorry, those of you watching online, I don't have the ability. I know you're like on a three-minute delay, so your questions won't get here as quickly. Um, but for those of you in the room, anything that I shared that you'd like for me to clarify? All right. Sometimes it usually takes one person willing, but hey, if that's the case, then I'm going to assume by silence that there's not as much cl uh, clarity that needs to be sought. It's just us being obedient um, from this point forward. So would you mind standing with me as we uh, respond through the Lord's table? Uh, we Thursday night are going to spend more time talking about what this cup and bread looks like. We're actually having several, uh, a couple of the gentlemen in our church that bake bread are making fresh bread for us Thursday evening so that it smells like bread. It's going to smell like a feast in here. Um, but we're going to, we'll spend more time talking about it.
But I know that we say a lot of these words every week, and I don't want it to become just ah for us. Because this is how Jesus showed that he was king and Lord and priest all at the same time. But this is also the example of the widow who gave everything she had total. So that is an example of that in this little cup. And then this is an example how the early church interpreted, like, let's do our lives like Jesus did. So this becomes an example of how we live. All of that in such a little cup. So let's take the bread from the bottom, or the, the cracker. Um, and I'd love for us, it's going to be on the screen for you. I would love for us just to hold this up and say this out loud because we need to remember, but we also need to be a person that helps others to remember. So this is a way for us to hear it, but also for us to become uh, like truth tellers where we're reminding others. So would you say this out loud together as we hold this up? This is his body broken for you. And let's do this in remembrance of him. In the cup, um, this was when he passed this around the first time. The disciples really had no idea. Now, the early church, they knew. But this was his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our, of our sins, their sins, our sins. And so let's remind each other of that right now. This is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And let's do this in remembrance of him. And then we have the tradition of joining in um, with the declaration of the mystery of our faith and just three distinct statements that really do summarize Holy Week. So let's say this out loud together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And as we get ready to do our benediction and to close our time out together, could we just show the slide for Holy Week with all of the dates and times on it, just so that if you need a visual reminder That's Thursday night, 6.30, Friday night, 7.30. Saturday is by yourself, with your family. Sunday morning, 6.30 in the courtyard. And then Sunday morning, 10.30 in here. That is the flow for this next week. And I would pray, I I ask that you be a part of as much as you can. The only thing that will be recorded, um, I believe, is going to be Easter Sunday's teaching. Everything else will just be live in room only or in courtyard only. So here's our benediction. I'm going to extend a hand to you. And if you wouldn't mind extending a hand to each other, uh, you can do that sideways, forward, you know, however flexible you are. But this is just a way of saying the early church thought they were brothers and sisters. And so we've got to figure out a way of not just being members of a church, but brothers and sisters, family together. So as we go from here today, may we remember that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is king, Jesus is priest, all rolled up into the Son of God. And this week, he proved it. He taught it, he lived it, he overcame it. He proved everything to be true on the week that we've set up this week. And so may we hold that. May we be patient and enduring. And may we have our voices tuned to his instruction because he's told us how to live in this tumultuous time. And we can make it together. So may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. Hope to see you Thursday, Friday, next weekend.